Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Um, so, uh, sometimes in, in, in church life, when I'm, when I'm working with a group of people uh, and I introduce like a new thing like this, people are like, I don't want to do that. I'm not downloading the app or I'm not putting my picture on or things like that. And I mean, I get that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fight the power kind of person also. Um, <clears throat> let me just ask you to, to do it. Um, let me just ask you to do it. And there, there are, you know, Rex and Michael and I are elders. We've, we've been in meetings where we're, we're talking about, there, there are reasons why we're asking you to do it. Um, so it, if, you would, if you would do that, that would be great. Uh, and it, in the future, what we'd like to do is use it as a way to communicate with our church. Um, and we'd like, if, like for you to use it as a way to co- communicate with each other as new people become a part of our church, um, that their information would be there and you'd be able to find them more easily. Uh, th- there are several reasons, but um, I, would, I would appreciate it. Uh, thank you for being, being a part of our church family and uh, working to be connected. So uh, let, me have, I'm, I'm gonna, let me have you think about this question. Uh, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Who, who is Jesus Christ? Who do you say he is? Who is the Lord? Who is Jesus Christ? Who do, who do you say he is? So you're going, through, you're, you're, certainly, you're going through some kind of trouble. You're going through some kind of challenge. Uh, some of you are going through that right now as we speak. You showed up here or you're listening online. You are going through something awful. Your challenge will reveal who you really are especially if it's bad enough. It will reveal who you really are and it will reveal who you think God is. You will, it will reveal who you think God really is. So who is Jesus Christ and who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? So 3,500 years ago, uh, Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. Um, Pharaoh, or the king of Egypt, was actually trying to inflict genocide on them. He was intent on, on killing them off. Um, and everybody, uh, he, he, would, he would have them, he'd want them to kill all the male Jewish children as they were being born. And if, that, if you weren't a male or if you weren't just being born, he was grinding you into dust by working you to death, basically. It's incredibly cruel labor. So finally, after hundreds of years, God sent a leader named Moses to bring Jewish people out of slavery. And Moses comes to the Pharaoh and says, listen, the Lord wants you to let the Israelites go. Here's the challenge. So, so the, the, king of, the king of Egypt is being challenged with this question. He's saying, I'm here to tell you that the Lord wants you to let the people go. So the Pharaoh is facing Facing this, uh, this challenge, it's going to reveal who he is and who he thinks God is. This is. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Pause. 
When you find yourself in trouble, when you find yourself being asked to do something that you don't want to do, it will reveal who you are and who you think God is. So ancient rulers, some of you guys know anything about ancient history, ancient rulers often thought they were God or they were a God. So they weren't accustomed to having anybody tell them what to do or obeying anyone. Uh, so when Moses challenges uh, the, the questions of the king, it reveals the kind of person he is or he thinks he is, and it reveals what he thinks of God. So God uses nationwide plagues to right-size his ego, and he fights it the whole way. The, the Pharaoh, the king, fights it the whole way. He's trying to convince the king that he has to release the Israelites, and the plagues reveal you know, who the king is and who God really is. And the king won't be convinced until the last plague called the death of the firstborn. And so every firstborn in Egypt, everyone was going to die according to this plague, but God created a way for the people to avoid the consequences of the plague if a person living in Egypt killed a lamb and then spread its blood above the door of their homes, then the plague would pass over their home. And that, some of you know, the celebration the Jewish people call Passover comes from this situation. So the Egyptian king finally releases the, the, the Jewish people after this terrible plague. And so imagine, imagine this huge group of people uh, traveling out of Egypt together. You, you've tried, you know, sometimes back in the day, maybe you, you've tried to drive in a caravan with people. This is, this is it's, it's always awful. And people, somebody gets lost and they miss a turn, they get stopped. I mean, they're coming out of here with thousands of people together. Soon they find themselves at a dead end. Now, if you've ever been leading a group, if you've been driving and leading a group of people and then you drive somewhere and you've, you realize, oh, I've made a wrong turn or you drive them into a dead end, they're like, oh boy. And then you know, when you, whenever you reach the place that you're going, you're going to hear about it. You're like, where, where, the, where the heck were you going? You drove us into a dead end. And then they are frustrated, finding themselves at this dead end. On the, and, and not only are they at a, the, the dead end, they're on an edge of a body of water called the Red Sea. The Red Sea is a, is a really large body of water. It's, it's like 19 times the volume of Lake Superior. So a big body of water. We've talked before about how ancient people had a strange relationship with large bodies of water. They were fearful, superstitious. Um, so Jewish people and the sea have this weird relationship. And so something is it, something that's completely out of their control. So finding themselves at this dead, dead end on the, on the edge of the Red Sea is, is challenging, is, if, and that's saying it in a small way. And to add to the challenge, they're on this dead end, they're right in front of the sea, and coming from behind them is the king, the pharaoh of Egypt. So not only are they facing a terrifying sea, they're facing the king of Egypt coming behind them. He's changed his mind, and he wants to take back his workforce or kill them. So the people are trapped between the, the terrifying Red Sea and the terrifying hostile army. So imagine, imagine that you're leaving Egypt, you come to the dead end, you're standing there on the edge of the sea. You're like, what in the world? Where are you leading us? And then you realize these guys are coming and you have nowhere to go. You're standing there with your family and your kids. 
the trouble that these guys are in reveals what they think about themselves and it reveals what they think about God. And again, this, is, this, is, this isn't like small trouble. This is big trouble. This is big trouble. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So those of you guys who know this story, this isn't exactly what they were saying in the, back in, the, in Egypt. You know they begged, they begged to leave it. But this situation is scary and terrifying. It reveals who they are and who they think God is. Moses says to them, don't be afraid. Just sit tight and watch what the Lord is about to do for you. And then this, to to say it's an epic moment is just an understatement. This incredibly epic moment right there in front of their eyes, the sea splits. It's a Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove back the sea and the strong and strong with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided right in front of their faces. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Get, uh, uh, could you get in the headspace of, of being there when something like that actually happened? I want to read it again, but while I read it, I want, I want to put up this painting an artist created of, of the scene. Um, this is what it says. Live in the moment. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove, back, drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day, the Lord saved Israel from the, land, from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when, it, when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Just a second ago, they're complaining, you know, who is the Lord? As I was getting ready for this message, I started thinking about this. Like, it was an act of faith to start walking through these walls of water. Like, I never, you never thought, think about that before you read this story. You think, oh, yeah, it was, God showed up and he did the... But to say, okay, I'm going to walk through this. How do you know it's, gonna, it's, not, it's gonna keep working while you're walking through? 
It was an act of faith to say, okay, here's who I am, and here's who God is. And I love in this painting how tiny he is compared to what's happening around him. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? And you can think about it. If you were standing there when this actually happened, the walls of water go up right in front of your face, this is a story you would tell over and over and over again. If you, if you hadn't had kids yet, when you had kids, you said, kids, let me tell you this story. But we were on the edge of the Red Sea and these walls of water went up and your kids would, they would hardly be able to believe it. And your kids would tell their kids, Hundreds of years, for hundreds of years, when Jewish people would get together, they would remember this, this Passover moment. They remember God's power over the sea over and over and over again. They tell it over and over and over again. For Christians, for Christians, our moment like this is, is Jesus Christ, born, died, resurrected. We think back to that moment, a historical moment, where we say that's, our, that's what our faith is about. For Jewish people, this is it. This thing that happened, they would think back. They say, remember when God did the thing with the water? Remember that? Remember that story? Who is the Lord? This was baked into who they were. For Jewish people, their faith was built on this event, how God saved the people. So in fact, if, if you go back now and you read through the Old Testament, this story is referenced over and over and over again. God's power to, over the Passover, God's power over the sea. A, a Jewish king named David does this all the time. In one setting, David writes this. He says this, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. He's not literally drowning. But he's, he's saying, I'm looking for God and I'm up to my neck. For, for, for about, a thousand, about a thousand years before Jesus shows up, David is one of the most powerful people alive. But here, he sounds like he's in big trouble. And in, in, in the trouble that he's in reveals who he thinks he is. And it reveals who he thinks God is. He says, I'm up to my neck. Kings don't say, I found some trouble that I can't get out of or can't deal with. He says that. I'm, I'm in over my head. And if you listen to the words, what, what he's, what he, it sounds like he's saying, I'm going to drown. He's not in control of anything. If he calls on the Lord. God has power over water. He's in control of them. And God can save, God can save David from this trouble that he's in. Old Testament authors do this over and over and over again all the time. They say, man, the water is up to my neck. Or man, the water is over my head. Or God, who... There are monsters and scary things in the sea, but God is over them all. Jewish people celebrate the Passover for hundreds, hundreds of years, and then Jesus shows up. 
this idea of God being in control of who dies and who lives and being in control of things that terrify us like water. Jesus shows up and when Jesus begins to do his, his public ministry, crowds surround him. Jesus is uh, healing the sick and he's casting out, casting out demons of, of, of people and he's teaching people about the kingdom of heaven. So once when Jesus needed to take a break from his work, he needed, he needed, he needed to, to, to create some space. He told his disciples, hey, let's get on a boat and get some space from, from this, this crowd of people. Let's get some rest. So when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And when he got into the boat and his disciples followed him, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. We'll come back to that. When the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. So Jesus and his disciples get in a boat on the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. Um, it's, it's a large body of water. We've talked about that recently. So in that area, it was very common because of where, where the sea is located for storms to happen very suddenly, very violently, and then be gone in a couple of hours. That's what happens in this situation. Um, in the 1980s, when, uh, when there was a drought in the area of the Sea of Galilee, two fishermen found the remains of an ancient boat. Um, so historians and archaeologists think that this boat is like from the first hundred years after Jesus was born. And they, and they think that this is the kind of boat that Jesus would have, would have rode in, something like this. So based on the remains of, 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 of this boat, people have created paintings or created recreations of boats like this. And they think this is the kind of thing that it will look like. So you're in a boat like this on the Sea of Galilee during a storm. Consider that. And then think about this. Jesus is on that boat sleeping. That seems impossible. And either one, so when I read this, I think a couple things. Like either he's absolutely so exhausted that he can't be woken. I mean, just, or like he's laying down and he's got like one eye open thinking, let's see how these guys are going to handle this one. <laughs> I like that one. Let's see what these guys are going to do this time. In this picture, uh, clearly, it would be so scary. They are, they are well within reason to be terrified. And in the midst of the storm, they finally decide. I think that maybe they're trying to say, oh, God. they start off with like, well, let's not wake Jesus up yet. <laughs> They're trying to see if they can get through, through this struggle, through their storm without having to wake Jesus up. And that sounds really familiar to me. Like I think, oh, I'm going to try to get through this without having to bother Jesus about this one. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Which again, you, 
I don't feel like that's the right question. <laughs> I feel like the question is, why aren't you afraid? Are you, you see what's going on here? This is terrifying. How we behave when a storm comes down quick on us will say something about who you really are and who you think God is. When the storm comes down on you, when everything's going down for real, it will say something about who you really are and who you think God is. They come to Jesus, which is good, which is good. But the statement that they make um, when they come to Jesus in the original language actually means we're going to die. They weren't saying, Jesus, help us because you can, you're, you're in control. What he's saying is, it's too late. Wake up, Jesus. We're about to die. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, if this is Jesus' 12 apostles um, on this boat, it's not clear if it is, but if it is Jesus' 12 apostles on this boat, then these men have been celebrating the Passover for years, the entire lives. They've heard it told to them. They've probably told it to, other, to, their, to their kids or to their nephews and nieces. They've said the Passover over and over again. So they know about God saving Israel from the Red Sea and the Egyptians. They know the story forwards, but they know the story cold. And so they know God's power over the sea. Moses says, in the name of the Lord, he, he could have said, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? You've just, you just got done seeing God do all these plagues to get you out of Egypt. So you of little faith, why are, you, why are you so afraid? That's the story that's happening right, right now. And the story that they, the, the, this is a story that they've been telling for years. The storm reveals what they really think of Jesus. They've seen him do things. The storm reveals what they really think of Jesus. But Matthew is writing that the storm reveals who Jesus really is. It's a brilliant way for Matthew. Matthew doesn't have to say, hey, Jesus is God. He says, you guys have been celebrating the Passover for years. God has power over the Red Sea. And then he said, let me tell you a little story about Jesus. He stands up and he's got power over the sea. What does that mean about who he is? And he doesn't even spell it out. And then he goes on to the next story. Brilliant. It's brilliant. The storm reveals what they think of Jesus, but it also reveals who Jesus actually is. Who is this guy? Who is he? Who is this king of glory? Who is the Lord? Who is Jesus Christ? So here's my invite for you. Let the storm reveal to you who Jesus really is. And let the storm reveal to you who you really are. Who you really are. The late pastor and author Tim Keller shares his story in his book On Death. 
He says, once I was speaking to a friend about his chronically ill wife who over and over again had defied medical predictions and had beaten, had beaten death. Now she was very ill again with a real possibility that this time she would not pull through. Talking with her husband, we agreed that no matter what happened, a believer always beats death, whether they die or not. Jesus Christ has defeated death and now, all, and now all it can do is make us much more happy and loved than we've ever been. If Jesus died for you and he has risen to be your living savior, then what can death do to you? The storm reveals who you think Jesus really is. It reveals who you think you really are. And the storm revealed that the man really did believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead and that death could do nothing permanent to him. Nothing permanent to him. That is amazing to me. That is amazing to me. One of the, th sometimes, I've shared with you guys before, sometimes my daughter Silver and I, when we're about to have to do something hard or scary, or even just, I'm just going to work, we say, we, say this to, we say this to each other. We say, <clears throat> what shall we say then? It's a, it's a quote of a Bible verse. What shall we say then? And the next part is this. One of us will say, what shall we say then? The, the other of us will say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Walk out and do it. Let's do it. <laughs> do you believe that's true? Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that's true? So certainly, you guys, you guys know this. When we first started talking about the meal packing event, the Mission of Hope meal packing event, I started seeing how much, how much it was going to cost and how many people it would take to do it. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. That's a lot of money. It's gonna take a lot of people. But I felt compelled to do it. And the question was this, who do I think I am? Is it my responsibility to make this happen if the Lord wants it done? And who do I think God is? Who do I think I am and who do I think God is? So if in your life, you have a financial crisis, if you have a marital crisis, if you are coming up against something terrible that you have to do with your, who are you and who is the Lord? The struggle that you're facing will reveal who you think he really is. We're all here today and I assume we would all say, oh yeah, he's the Lord. Is he for you? The storm that the disciples were in revealed that they do not know who Jesus is. They didn't then. They, don't know, they have no idea who he is. In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. Communion is a time when we are reminded of what death's place is. We're reminded that death, for Jesus follows, death has no power over us. Sometimes you give it power. Sometimes I give it power, but death has no power over us. Communion is a time when we're reminded of the storm's place in our life. The, the, the things that you are facing, put them in their place. Put them in their place. 
While we're living in this world, we are drawn to fear storms and fear death. But instead of living for the fear of storms and the fear of death, we, they should just be reminders. They should be reminders of how we are in control of anything. Okay, I understand who I am. Thank you for that. Whatever struggle you're facing, thank you for that. But it reminds me of who Christ is. Yes. When we go through those things, we can allow them to be spiritual smelling salts that wake us up in our sleepy, humdrum lives of doing the same old junk that we always do and reminding us that we can handle this with the power of Christ. During times of communion, it's, it's a smelling salt to awaken us to this fact, to awaken us. If Jesus died for you and has risen, he's a risen living savior, then what can a storm do to me? Then what can death do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me? If Jesus died for you and he has risen to be your living savior, then what can death do to you? Be empowered as we take communion together today. Be empowered. Let's pray together. Dear Father, if you are for us, who can be against? against us. There is no reason that we should ever fold when we're facing terrifying, difficult things, that we should stay committed to what you've called us to. Even if it seems like the, the challenge is insurmountable, even if it seems that the challenge is impossible, when we take communion together today, let us be reminded that you did the impossible when you rose from the dead as an example for all of us. We can face death and end up with life. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? He is the King of glory. Let us proclaim that by we by taking communion together now and let us proclaim it with our lives, with, with gritted teeth, everything we have until the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.